This is a good day to be together. Uh, as you know, we've been in this series for a, a, a few weeks now. We talked about being a disciple of Jesus. Now we're talking about the surrender solution. And uh, there is something about surrender that is really powerful. And something about understanding that when you surrender, there is a solution behind it. And that's what we're trying to get to. Uh, you know, over the last several weeks, uh, we started with the heart. The heart of the matter of disciple-making is really about um, love and obedience. If you, if you try to love God without obeying God, that doesn't really work. If you try to obey Him without love, that's a totally dead religion. It doesn't work. And then we talked about how the gospel and disciple-making is relational and not informational, it's not curriculum, right? It's, it's actually interaction with God and interactive with people. It has love at its center, it's intentional, it's not accidental, you don't pop up one day and go, I'm a brilliant disciple, no, that never happens. And then it's cyclical, it's seasonal, and what that means is God uses the stuff that's going on in your life to form you and shape you, if you'll let him. If you will let him. And that's seasons. There's seasons of, of, uh, of planting and seasons of watering and seasons of waiting and seasons of harvest. And it's all part of how God works in our lives. And then, of course, it's spiritual because we're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of Jesus, which the Holy Spirit is forming each of us into the image of Jesus Christ. Christ, and we're going to talk about that today. Put up the rest of the circle. I just want you to see where we're headed. We're headed, yeah, last week we talked about vulnerability and how there is no relationship with God or with people without vulnerability. By the very definition of vulnerability, right, what is it? It's like uh, vulnerable means you can get hurt. You, uh, you're, you're vulnerable enough to get hurt. Everybody's got to make their peace with that. The question is, is God going to hurt you? The problem is, following Jesus does have some pain. But most of that pain is self-inflicted. My kids, I, 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 I kind of use it as a common illustration all the time. I try to get my kids to mow the lawn. They thought I was ruining their life. God tries to get you to do things sometimes, and you think he's ruining your life. He's not ruining your life. You need to be uncomfortable from time to time. You and I need to allow some of that no pain, no gain attitude to get a hold of us. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what spiritual formation is. It's being formed. It's being molded. It's being shaped. And that happens with the love of God. He's, he's never angry at you or, or punishing you. That's, that, that is gone. We're going to talk about that today. But I, here's the thing that I, that I find is so, such a struggle for our church and for the American church maybe uh, in general, maybe for humans all throughout history, is we tend to only surrender a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going to... If you think about the word surrender, what, what happens when you surrender? Oh, you lost. It's over. You gave up. You gave up totally. You can't give up a little bit. I'm going to surrender to Jesus, except for these areas right here. That doesn't work. And it's interesting, because when you, 
come to Jesus for the first time, you discover who Jesus really is. When you, when you re- realize how much love he has for you and how, what he came to this earth and this planet to do and to bring miracles and healing to people's lives and, and then to take on the sins of the world upon himself at the cross as a display of self-sacrifice and love, when you discover that, you're like, oh, I could give my life for that. See, here's the thing. God's all in on you. He wants us to be all in on him. He's all in with you. (laughs) He gave it all. He wants you to be all in with him. And sometimes I do wonder, you know, it's tough. Um, In this culture, sometimes to be all in because we're busy. Our lives are full. Things are difficult and confusing. And sometimes, I, sometimes if I could be really transparent, sometimes I wonder if we're doing church exactly right. Really cushy seats, really nice coffee, hanging out, really awesome music, a beautiful building. I mean, not as beautiful as some others, but beautiful to me. World-class children's ministry. So sometimes I look around and I see us standing, enjoying, and the message through all that is what? Get as comfortable as you can? It's antithetical to the message in some ways. It's antithetical to what Jesus says when you come to him, he's like, hey, when you come, when you come if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow. So today we'll be using the cross to take turns. Just kidding. <laughs> no, it's weird. It's a, it's a conundrum, isn't it? When everything around you is about kind of a consumer convenience concept, including church, it's almost like, oh, what what is the constant message? Is it be all in? Let everything go? I want to show you a picture that is a conundrum for me. Just a conundrum. Show them the picture there, Alejandro, the first one. I, <laughs> Long John Silver's and Kentucky Fried Chicken in the same building. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what's wrong with this picture. It, I mean, first of all, there is the problem of Long John Silver's, just, just individually. There's a problem. Right? It, it is, my wife loves Long John Silver's. Does anybody, it, anybody else love Long John Silver's? Weirdos. Why don't they have their own building? Are they not quite strong enough or good enough to have their own? I got to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and bite into a drumstick of 11 herbs and spices of original recipe and taste fish. It's not just KFC. Look at this. It's not just KFC. It's A&W Root Beer, too. 
They don't have their own building? They can't find their own thing, their own establishment? What's wrong? They're just connected to these other things. And the last thing I want is A&W root beer and the smell of fish. You think it's like crazy. It's just like these, no, it's, it's one more. It's like south of the border. What is this? <laughs> I got it, I got it. Fish tacos. No, they don't serve fish tacos in here. There's a problem. Can't Long John Silver's just be all in on themselves? Does everything else have to smell like fish? I feel like sometimes when we get insecure in our lives, we attach to other things and we have trouble being all in. And I want us to think about that this morning because last week we talked about vulnerability and today we're going to talk about identity. Identity. There it is. We're going to talk about our identity because there's, a, there's an issue with the scripts we've been handed the ideas that we've grown up with in maybe our broken family, the things that were placed upon us by a teacher or a coach or some other extended family member. There's these scripts or these roles that we end up playing and we don't even realize it sometimes. But God has a big story. Everybody say big story. And you, you are a part of that story, but Jesus is the central character and he wants to redeem your story no matter how broken it is, no matter how messed up it is, no matter how wounded your yesterdays are, Jesus comes to heal you and to reframe the story around the central character of Jesus. And, and what that means is we're, we're looking to Jesus for everything. We're looking to Jesus for our very identity of who we are. Becoming a disciple means that we are willing to shed our own view of who we are, our false self, and take on God's view of who we are. So many of us wrestle with a false self, a false projection, an unwillingness to be the same person in every situation or with every group of people we struggle with that we project something that we think somebody else expects and this is a challenging thing as tim keller said brilliant author and and pastor he said christian identity is actually received and not achieved taking enormous pressure off of us to perform and merit our affirmation. I want, you to, I want you to think about what's happening in our society right now with everybody believing they can choose their own identity regardless of the consequences. Choosing your own identity, whatever you want it to be, however you want it to be displayed, 
I just want you to know that there's a lot of pressure in that. There's a lot of burden in that. There's a lot of heavy proving of who you are. Whether you think that's a, a business woman or some single dad or some, I mean, no matter what you think your identity is, if you try to create it yourself, it's too heavy. It will crush you. And so God comes along and he says, hey, don't do that. You don't, you don't need to do that. Why don't, you, why don't you let go of everything? Why don't you surrender everything to me and I'll reshape you into an identity that'll leave you fulfilled, loved, healed, Amen. courageous? That's what God wants to do. And so I want to read this passage here in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And I want you to kind of read through it with me. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. If you want to follow along on the message notes, you can do that by scanning the QR code or you can, um, you can just follow along in your own Bible. But this is the story of Jesus and then we're gonna read into Matthew 4. So this is Jesus. And what we're, look, what we're doing is we're looking, the first place we're gonna look when we talk about identity has to be Jesus himself. And so Matthew 3, 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, that's where we are, Jesus' baptism, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I want you to notice what the voice from heaven said. He said, this is my son. That's your identity. He was saying, this is my son right here. This is my son. This is who he is. He is God's son. And a voice from heaven shouted, out, shouted it out at his baptism. And, a, and a, something that looked like some kind of dove came down upon him. And I like the word that's in the NIV, alighted, alighting him. It lit him up. And he was identifying Jesus as his own. You know, that's exactly what happens to you and me when we come to God. He chooses you as his own. He identifies you as his own. Here's the thing. It's always been true. It's just finally you realized it. That's the truth. He says, second thing he says is, whom I love. This is my son whom I love. That's validation. Everybody wants validation. He's not just saying he's his son, but he's validating Jesus as a beloved son. He's saying he's not just my son. This is, this, this is a son that I, am, that I love deeply. And then not only that, but I'm proud of him. I'm pleased with him. The third thing he says is with him, I am well pleased. That's affirmation. These are three things that everybody wants and craves and needs an identity full of love, uh, validation, full of love, affirmation, full of love. This is what God says to Jesus. And, he, and, and he, he does this. I want you to notice this. He does this at a moment where Jesus hasn't really proved anything to him or to anyone else. 
frankly. There are no, our Heavenly Father said this to Jesus before he had done any recorded public ministry. That's a pretty amazing thing. You see, hey, hey, God's all in on you. He, he, gives, he gives it all. He says, you got it all. You got my identity, you got my validation, you got my affirmation. You don't have to search for it from anybody else. You don't have to try to get it from somebody else because you're so broken. You're so, you, know, you're, <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to seek it through your career. You don't have to seek it through your hobbies. You, don't, you can receive it through what God has done. In fact, Paul articulates it really well in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 and 5 through 10. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up, watch this, watch this, with Christ, so Jesus was resurrected, Paul says, you're resurrected with Christ, and seated us with him in the, where does it say? What is this? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess what? Guess where you are? Guess where you are? You're sitting right on his lap. You're seated with him. You're seated with him in the heavenly realms. But we don't really believe that, do we? Pastor Ross, I got a job I hate. I get it. The world can press in on us and change our identity. Verse 7 says, verse 6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. <laughs> hey, just by the way, that's why you can pray from heaven and not from earth. You don't have to pray all the bad stuff. You pray from heaven where all the good stuff is. You pray for what God's plan and purpose is and you see it with heaven's eyes because you're in Christ and he's in you. And so when you look at your neighborhood, you don't just pray for, oh, Lord bless them. They're so broken. It's so terrible. Oh, it's just... No, you pray God's vision for them. You pray God's purpose for them, for yourself, for your family, for the people around us. Because this is the point. Verse 7 says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, you were created for good works. Created when? When were they created? Did you not just hear me? In advance. He created works for you to do in advance. He's already got a whole bunch of stuff set up for you. All you got to do is accept his identity. It's so easy, isn't it? No, it's not. Because we let all this other stuff get a hold of us. We, we allow these other voices to speak into our heads and our hearts Amazingly, from this moment of baptism, Jesus, he's called into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit, can you believe that? It's just like my kids and me telling them to go mow the lawn. They were led by their dad into the wilderness of the backyard to be tempted to have a bad attitude and to forget who they really are. It's exactly the same. God is never interested in punishing you or being angry at you. He poured out all his wrath on Jesus. Jesus took it all. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to live even with the wrath of the, the sinfulness of this world. You can identify with it, but you'll, it'll be a lot of pain, suffering. But you don't have to identify with that. Jesus was there for 40 days and 40 nights, verse two says, and he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Notice Jesus is hungry after 40 days, of course. He's fasting, he's at his weakest. Just like you, just like him, you will be tempted at your weakest point. Just like Jesus, you will be twist, te tempted to question your identity. Notice what, the, what, it, what just happened at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The first thing that happens is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna question the entire thing, the devil says. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This temptation is precisely aimed at the identity of Jesus, daring him to prove himself by doing something that he could have easily done, right? Right, he could have done it. He could have turned the stones to bread, he did it later. But think about it, the devil's daring him to use his power, or in another way we might say, use his identity to do something that's not in his character or nature. That is to be self-serving. That's the temptation, to feed his own hunger instead of relying on his Father's word. It's no mistake that Jesus uh, quotes this scripture from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3. He quotes it in defiance. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from God, that's what satisfies and fulfills. That's what nourishes and gives us meaning and identity and purpose. And Jesus chooses it. It's God speaking to you and leading you instead of you relying on yourself to do what you think you need. Whew. That's tough. But Jesus faced that temptation, will face that temptation, and when you face it, what I want you to remember is the same word Jesus said. You know what? I'm not here just for me. I'm here for others. I'm not here to fulfill my own self-desires. I'm here to fulfill the desires of God himself. That's my identity. That's who I am as his kid. And, hey, by the way, God has plenty of food for me. And actually, his word can sustain me in a way that food maybe can't. So Jesus' second temptation was more of the same. Are you guys still with me? You're still like thinking about lunch? 
bread. Verse 5 says, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. <laughs> See, the devil gets wise. He's like, I'm going to use the scriptures now. I'm going to twist them. I'm going to twist the scriptures and make it be a leverage point for forcing you into this. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Like Jesus, you and I will be tempted to act out of our false self something that is not in line with our identity. Jesus is tempted. Now, understand what is happening here. He's tempted with a spectacular display, a miraculous protection is what the temptation is. Jumping off the highest point in the city, in the temple, and when he does it, the angels gather and catch Jesus and release him down to the ground. How many people would start following Jesus because of that? It'd be a start to massive ministry. It would be awesome. It's exactly what Jesus was about to enter into. And the devil was offering him another way. The devil's temptation is for Jesus, for Jesus is to take control of his ministry with a, this dramatic public spectacle that would prove, wait for it, prove how special he is to God and instantly draw people to himself. But Jesus refuses to be someone he's not. He refuses to test the Lord. Jesus chooses the kingdom way. What is the kingdom way? The kingdom way is a way of hiddenness, a way of wilderness, a way of solitude and prayer a way of your identity being secure in the confidence that comes from the deep love that God has for him and that he can trust God to draw people to his ministry. Jesus responds with the words, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is Deuteronomy 6.16. And it's a story where, um, it's the story where the people of God, the Israelites, were delivered from Egypt and they're wandering around the desert and they get thirsty and they get grumpy and they get hungry. They were hangry. And, and they start complaining to Moses. And Moses actually says in the verse, he says, Moses can't stand the whining and complaining. He says, what am I gonna do with these people? They're about to stone me. So it wasn't just like, hey, we're thirsty. It was like, you are horrible as a leader and we're gonna kill you. This is... This is a moment, this is a moment where they're complaining so badly and they want God to prove that he's with them. So he, so he tells Moses, go ahead, take your staff that I gave you, hit the rock, water flows, everything's good. Everything's good. They get their water, they, get, they stop being grumpy, but actually that's not all that happened because this verse is talked about over and over again. This story is talked about over and over again in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament and Jesus quotes it right here. And why is he saying this? Because if you read Exodus 17, 7, he said, and he called the place Massa, which means testing. Okay, that's what that word means. And Meribah, 
which means quarreling because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord God saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's pretty bold. God, are you with us or not? Because we need you to show it to us right now. Paul actually said, and Jesus kind of hints at this in the Sermon on the Mount, that we live by faith and not by sight. See, the devil will always tempt you to act in a way that is opposite to the life that Christ has called you to. To test him, to prove something to someone else, this is the, these are the temptations, and, it's, and Jesus survives these three temptations about his identity, and you and I will have to as well. Check out the third temptation in verse eight. It says, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Once again, God, Jesus uses the scripture to fend off the temptation. So many sermons in here. We can have 10 sermons in this passage. We'll only have one today. It is written, notice what it says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels, and angels came and attended to him. Like Jesus, you and I will always be tempted to take a shortcut. Can I just encourage you that there are no shortcuts in the Bible? There's only long cuts. They're all long cuts. I believe that Jesus knew where he was headed. He didn't know exactly how he was going to get there. He didn't know all the things that would actually happen to him. He just knew generally the direction he was headed and that he believed that the nation, he was there for the purpose of the nations worshiping God the display of the Messiah, the revelation of who God is. He, he, he knew he was there for this purpose. But he followed his father's direction at every turn. And in this moment, I believe the temptation was from the devil to Jesus was to try to escape the cross or take a shortcut with convenience. Oh, all you gotta do is bow down to me right here. Not too painful. The devil will always tempt you to take a shortcut. He'll always tempt you with less pain. Now, this is the problem, okay? Go with me. There's less pain initially and then a lot more pain later. That's what happens with all kind of um, moments where you can't work out (laughs) your delayed gratification. You just want what you want right now. And you, so you get it, and you're like, yeah. It's like the dog that chased the bus and finally caught it, and what's he going to do with it now? The bus is going to kill him. That's the same thing with you and me. We catch what we want. We get what we want. Jesus was tempted to bypass the role of servant and take the way, take on the role of his own sovereign entity. Oh, wait, Pastor Russ, he was, but he was like God. Like he was, yeah, if anybody had, if anybody had the right to do what he wanted to do, it was Jesus. But instead, what does he do? He holds back and he only listens 
and obeys what his father tells him to do. Listen, Jesus went before you to show you how it would work. You and I are gonna face all these same things. Here's the, here's the great benefit though. Jesus died for your sins and my sins. Jesus made a way for us to have exactly what he has. He made a way for us to have the Holy Spirit who will lead us and guide us. He made a way for us to know the scriptures and to have them and be able to quote them. He made a way for us to be able to deal with all the sinfulness and woundedness of our our history and our broken world. He made a way for all that to happen and it's powerful. Our identity is powerful if we'll just own it. Jesus was tempted to disobey and betray his identity and his purpose. There's no shortcuts for spiritual formation. There's no shortcuts for character development. You gotta mow the lawn. (laughs) I feel like Long John Silver's was always taking a shortcut. Nobody really wants to go that place, so they gotta attach themselves to something else so that everything else starts to smell like fish. A bunch of you are attaching to everything else and everything smells like fish. Jesus wants you to give you a new identity. <laughs> he wants to get rid of that fish smell. He wants to give you his own ways of understanding how to deal with every temptation you face. And here's one example right here in this scripture. Because Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen, worship is one of the most significant and powerful ways that you stand. You are filled with strength in order for you to stand up against temptation. Because worship is about confessing and declaring what you believe. That God is who he says he is, and you are who he says you are. That's what worship is. That's what singing all these songs is all about. You're working on your identity with those three songs. Don't act like it's just like, oh, I'm just here with my coffee. (laughs) Something powerful has got to happen here. I want you to go all in with me. I think what's ahead of us in America might be harder than what's behind us. I don't know for sure. Nobody really does. But it don't look good. (laughs) It's gonna require an all-in nature. But here's what happens when you go all in. The power of God shows up in a way that it doesn't when you're just half in. (laughs) A confidence and a courage starts to materialize when you decide... All right, it's all yours. Listen, I, I, I know everybody's busy. I know that the one-day retreat is hard for everybody to get to. I, I know that. Listen, truth be told, it's a work day for me. <laughs> like, I get it. There are plenty of reasons not to be there that are good. 
Here's what you got to drill down and settle. Not your schedule. That, that is true. In order to follow Jesus, you're going to have to get it on your calendar. The question that's deeper, that's harder, is why wouldn't you want to spend a day with him? Why wouldn't you want to set aside several hours to worship together with other people who are working through their stuff? And I don't want that to create guilt for you. you don't, I'm going to be out at the five-minute party. You don't have to come by. Hey, I just wanted you to know we're going to be out of town. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not in the business of guilt. But I am in the business of trying to help you overcome temptation. And a bunch of you are carrying around crap in your lives that you don't need to carry. You've lost your way with your identity. And a day with Jesus where we talk about things and pray about things and pray through things and get rid of some of the stuff that's come back to attack you from your wounded yesterdays, when we settle that on that Saturday, I promise you will not be sorry that you set aside the time. But it's just so easy to go on. (laughs) Don't be like Long John Silver's. Be your own person. Be your own building. Take responsibility for what God has given you, his identity, and choose the thing that is his way and not your way.